0: if you would look with me this morning in the book of Malachi the book of Malachi we're going to be running through the whole book, actually. But we're going to be keying on chapter 2, verse 17, and from that we're going to look at other things that the Lord has said. So I'd ask you to stand once more, if you would please, for the reading of God's Word and for prayer with me. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, How have we wearied Him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Pray with Him, if you would, please. O our God and our Father, We come humbly once again before you. Before you who are high and lifted up, we know that the heavens are your throne, the earth is your footstool. And we rejoice, though, for the hope that we have of the promise that you dwell with the humble and contrite. And we seek, by the working of your Holy Spirit in us, that contrite and humble spirit this day. Grant unto us this morning... O oh, Father, please, a profound sense of your glory and of your presence. May the knowledge of you, O oh Lord, captivate our hearts, captivate our minds. And may you grant an all-pervasive sense that you are the Lord God, Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Fill this place, this sanctuary. We ask you to come in accordance with your promise that where two or three or gathered together in your name that you are in their midst. May we, O Lord, have the knowledge and the experience of your priceless, omnipotent grace. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> You have wearied the Lord with your words. The prophet had brought a charge against Israel, the church. And his charge is that you've wearied the Lord. These people that are called by His name, He's grown weary of them. It's the same thing that Isaiah had said to a king many, many years before in Isaiah chapter 7. Refused to say, he's speaking to a king who had refused to believe and to do what God was calling upon him to do, even though he was of the lineage of David. And Isaiah had said in Isaiah seven thirteen, Is it so little for you to weary men? Listen to the words of the prophet. That you weary my God also? You've got to allow us to use those terms of God growing weary. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in such a way here this morning. God charges these people, He charges them with this, but He denies that He has ever wearied them Himself. The charge, though, is not that you have provoked me to a feeling of action, to an anger that's going to create an action against you for the moment. It's going to bring destruction to you. That's not what's being said here. We know this is the last voice of a prophet for several hundred years before another prophet appears upon the scene who was John the Baptist. The last words from a prophet for hundreds of years. God's pleading with His people. Oh, you've not provoked me to anger, but you've brought me to a place of weariness, a place of fatigue. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted with all of it. With all the noise that you're making. Burnout, so to speak. Burnout. But we see God's willingness to send the prophet with the burden of his word. And it was a burden to him. In many translations, in verse one it says, when it says the oracles of the word of the Lord to the to to Israel by Malachi, that is the burden of the word of the Lord. And when this is spoken of anywhere else in Scripture, it's normally used in prophecies of judgment. It points to the urgency that's felt by the prophet in issuing his proclamation. There's an urgency in this man's. Heart and mind is a burden for him. It's the burden of the word of the Lord that he's bringing to the church. And that's what I want to do this morning. I'm not a prophet, but I'm burdened with the word of the Lord for the church in the United States of America, especially in Sabine County, Angelina County. I'm burdened with this. Because see, God's willingness to send the prophet with this burden of His Word indicates feelings feelings that only a loving father or a loving mother or a loving husband or a loving wife or grandmother or grandfather can actually know. Sorrow is indicated. There's a sorrow inside. There's a pity that is sympathetic that leads to compassion. And so that we see in the very sending of the prophet patience and long suffering there is here a profound affection of a heart that yearns over someone even an unworthy someone yearns over even someone that is unworthy As you read this book, and I challenge you to do that when you go home tonight. As you read it, you're going to see in this book some of the things that we know by way of experience with our own children. These are God's children. These are God's people. They're people that He's given birth to by His Spirit in the the midst of these people a so-called priests are supposed to be telling the truth to and so we know what's going on here we say to our children we love you we love them and we're when we say that we're saying we're unwilling to abandon them we don't we won't abandon them even though they might deserve doom we don't We won't abandon them, even though we know the seeds that they have sown are going to be seeds unto death and not unto life. They've sown seeds that are unto corruption and not unto joy and peace and righteousness. We know that, but we love them and we say we are not going to abandon them. We're not going to give up on them. had a grandmother call me just this week and say, Would you please call someone in another state? He's about to kill himself. And if you listen to this man, he talked to him and I called him and he actually answered his phone, which he said he didn't normally do. And I said, Can't you see that you're not abandoned? I told this young man this just this week. That you've got a reason for living because God has had mercy on you. It was a mercy that you called your grandmother and it's a mercy that your grandmother called me and it is a mercy that I am calling you and God is encountering you now. Why are you living? But the grandmother, even though everybody else had abandoned him, the mother said when she approached the mother about the state of her son, I don't want to hear it. But oh, God heard it. Had a long talk. But that's something of the feeling. That's something that... You ever get weary with that when dealing with your children? With your friends, with people that you know that are on a path to hell even, and they just won't hear? And you're wearied with it? We tell them we we'll love them. And they ask the question that is asking. Verse 2 of chapter 1 here that's asked all through this book How have you loved me? How have you loved me? You don't let me do this. You don't let me do that. You don't let me go to this concert or that concert. You don't let me go out and hang out with a gang. You don't let me do this and that. You don't let me date that guy because he's not a Christian or she's not a Christian. You invite him over, but you won't let him. You say, No. How have you loved me? And you say, I've loved you all your life. I've loved you unconditionally with all my heart. I loved you before you were even born. Before you were born, you were my dream. And when you came to my home as my child that I held, you far exceeded my dream. I've loved you with all of my heart unconditionally. And I still love you that way. And that's something that we read in verse 2 of chapter 1 here. The Lord is pleading with Israel, and that's the first thing He says, and I hope by way of this example you get some sense of the feeling of the compassion of God and the mercy that reaches out through these prophets. They weren't actually men of doom. They were bringing words of life. They were there. And the Lord says to them in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then you get the response of the kids. But oh yeah, but what do you... <laughs> it's you say, how have you loved me? And then He replies to them, Is not Jacob Esau's brother? Is not brother is not he the first in line for the inheritance? Have I not chosen Jacob and hated Esau? Read it. Is not Esau's home among jackals? Do I not tear down his walls? Have I not blessed you? Don't you remember Abraham? How did I call him out of Ur? How I called an idolater and separated him from all the nations on the face of the earth. I called him sovereignly and unconditionally and I set him apart and I made a covenant with him and I gave, and I gave him Isaac and I separated Isaac to myself. Instead of Ishmael, there's Isaac. I separated Isaac from the twelve sons that Abraham had with Korah. Separating and then kept the lineage and then I hated Esau and I loved Jacob. I chose Moses after he went down to Israel. You became what I told Abraham you were going to be a mighty nation. My people called out from not Egypt, not anybody else, just you. How have I loved you? I brought you out. I sustained you in the wilderness. Did I not love Moses and set him apart and Aaron apart, Judah apart? Did I not set David apart and now... Can't you see this? That I have loved you unconditionally. That I have loved you with all of my heart. Can't you see this? I've loved you, says God. God who needs nothing loves them. The love of God. This, my friends, this is the deep, deep deep-seated, complete, all-encompassing love God defines it Himself for us. It is a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A love that is not easily provoked, even though it may may grow weary with it all, and thinks no evil. Thinks no evil. All of His gifts are good and perfect, and there's no... He's the Father of lights and there's no variableness. There's no shifting shadow, says James, where this is concerned. God is there. Now, there are many ways in which we weary God. And I could make a sermon, and you better pray that I don't, because you'll be here the rest of the evening out of each one of these headings, but I want to get somewhere. There are many ways in which we weary God. You ever thought about the fact that you might be wearying God? That He might grow weary of your stuff and your claims? Oh, yeah, I won't go there. There are many ways in which we weary God as in our carelessness. We become careless. We don't take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself, is what the Lord tells us. Pray and watch. But we don't, we become careless, our carelessness wearies God, because if we 're careless, worldliness creeps in, we become worldly. You know what I'm talking about when I say world it's the it's antithetical to God. we're not to love the world or no, the things of the world, not even the things of the world. Are you listening? <laughs> we come. Worldliness creeps in. And then when we become worldly, there's this love of self. It's all about me. Vanity and foolishness as a result of carelessness, worldliness coming in. The things that are opposite of God. The things of this world. The things that are at enmity with, with God. And then it becomes all about me. All about what I don't have. What I won't. And nobody else. Vanity and foolishness. We weary God in our opposition. Our dislike of Him. We don't like Him. We don't like His law. We don't like His gospel even. A lot of people don't like the gospel. You start preaching the gospel and they're going to shut you down. They don't like His law. They don't like Him. They don't like the statutes and precepts that He presents to us. And we say, well, we see this guy over here, he looks like a tree bearing fruit, right? No, but no, we we become worldly, and therefore we walk in the counsel of the ungodly, we stand in the way of the sinner, we sit in the seat of the scornful, and we do not delight in the word of God. We don't delight in it. We don't meditate as a result of not delighting in it day and night. Do you? All you need to do is be honest here. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God here this morning. Be honest. And so as a result of not meditating in it, not loving it, not delighting in it, (laughs) what do you delight in? Oh, your worldliness, maybe. I don't know. And he's wearied with that. And as a result of that, he's wearied with what comes next. As a result of that, we become unteachable. He's wearied with our unteachableness. One of the fruits that comes with the wisdom from the, of above, James says, is being teachable. But we're not. And since we become worldly love of self, dislike God and His law, and become unteachable. We're not growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We become foolish. And as a result of foolishness, hardness of heart. And you put all that together, and guess what that equals? Equals. Perverseness. Perverse. And if you're a Christian and you're walking there, you are profaning. The things of God. And that leads to unbelief. That wearies God. Distrust of God. The rejection of His love. Oh, yeah, how have you loved us? If you love me, why am I in jail in Philippi? Why did I get beat up? Because I preached the gospel and cast a demon. This demon got cast out of this girl. And now I'm in jail? That's where your light shines there's where the fruit comes from. Unbelief, distrust of God, rejection of His love. Oh, yeah, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? Which leads to semi atheism, practical atheism, the agnostic, the actual atheist. You know what I mean when I say call people, a, say, speak of a practical atheist? They say that they're Christian, but you watch their life, and everything that they lay their hands to says they're not. We often have something else that wearies God our want of zeal. No zeal for it. Are you zealous for the things of God? Or are you just going to keep on knocking till you weary in prayer? She wearied me with all her continual knocking at my door. We're told to pray like that. Zealous for the house of the Lord. Zealous. And so that all we're wearied. We weary God and then He's speaking to the church, you understand, with our inconsistencies. These are all inconsistencies. Our life and our creed are at variance. We have a name but no more. A name. I know that you have a name that you're Okay, but no, you're not, says the Lord. the authority. Revelation 3, one. Your creed and your life are at variance. You tell someone you're a Christian, the church is saying, well, I'm a Christian. We're going to look and see. and so These guys are saying, yeah, we're, we're God's people. But all they have to do if they got one eye and half sense, is open this book and listen to you and watch your life and know that your creed and your life are at variance. In these ways, we weary God and more than that, we weary God continually. By so doing, we resist and we grieve, and we're told not to grieve. Be careful that you don't grieve. When the last time you thought about that as you walked through your day, as you washed your dishes or changed the diaper, or as you talked to your wife or your husband or your children. Or you were watching some movie and the Holy Spirit was going, -uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, nope, nope, nope. Come on, ouch, amen, something. God could, my friends, refuse to be treated like this. He could refuse to be treated by this, like this by us any longer and put an end to it, bang, at once. He could. Ananias and Safari. bang. The king, was it Agrippa? voice of God, the people said, bang. Worms ate him up. He endured... Solomon Gomorrah, the Sodomites, for a season. And then, boom, they're gone. He could. But his patience is long. He bears a lot before he interferes in his wrath. He will suffer much for us before being worn out and allowing righteousness and justice to do their will. You want justice? <laughs> you probably don't. He will suffer much for us. He waits. He has pity. And He pleads with us to the very last. The prophet's words. Oh, 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 all through the. Scriptures that you would hearken to my commandments express that feeling. And then in Matthew 23 verses 37 through 38, look, look there with me. Just look at that one. Matthew 23. <clears throat> the Lord speaking of Jerusalem. You can probably quote it, but let's just look at it for a second. Understanding, we see two things right here. Our Lord's words and His tears over Jerusalem show at the same time, at the same time we see something. God's unspeakable patience and long-suffering and we also see how that patience is finally exhausted. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. You can hear the sound of the prophets as they come that are being stoned saying, Oh, my people, if you were just the voice of God through them. To them, Through them, to these people, the burden of the Word of God upon them. Oh, my people, if you would but hear and do my commandments. You can hear that. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and thorns those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. You hear the weariness? You hear the feelings, you hear the long-suffering, you hear the patience and the compassion. But you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. And it was in 70 AD. It was wiped out. Most of you know that history. And so we see God's unspeakable patience here. And we see, at the same time, how that patience is exhausted. If you've never read Josephus and seen what went on at that destruction, you maybe should. But I want us to notice something of what the Lord was wearied by. And if you look back at Malachi chapter 2, again verse 17. What was the Lord wearied by? You've wearied the Lord with your words. (laughs) Yeah. Words alone don't weary God. They're pleasant sounds to Him. He created words. He created sounds. He delights in listening to what His creatures say. The heavens declare His glory. speech is uttered from day to night all the time all the sights and sounds that come from the work of his hands they're meant to be good sunshine bright warm stars twinkling the moon shining the green color of the earth and the blue of the sky all at the same time. We look at that. All the colors and the sounds of the ocean. We see that. We enjoy that. Spend days there just looking and listening, right? The music that comes from the birds, the voice of the wind, the roar of the thunder, the flash of the lightning. All of these, all of these, he said was good. And God saw that it was good. And the same is true with the human voice and words. God created our voices. God gave us intellect, logic, reason to be able, and that separates us from the beast. Gave us the ability to communicate in a way that no other created being can do. Aren't you glad he created you a human instead of an ass? Amen, brother. what I am. Yeah. The sound is true of the human voice, but when that sound is dissociated from the feelings when they are not an expression of the heart, but just an expression of the lip. Or when the sound is just a sound of error. Continually. Always. Every time a guy stands up and preaches, it's error, 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 error. Falsehood. Over and over and over and over and over or the singing, or the prayer, or the reading. No meaning, unmeaning. And as a result of that, it's all hollow. And it ceases to be good. It's not good any longer. It displeases Him. And when they're repeated and reiterated, they weary Him. Talk, talk, talk. Talk. Mere talk. And it may be respectable talk. It may even be religious talk, my friends. But if it is mere talk, it not only wearies man, and let me tell you something, men know when it's from your heart and you're on fire with it and you're burdened with it and when you can't do anything but give it, (laughs) when you live for it, And when it's just mere religious talk, men know it. And it wearies them. And it also wearies God. Wearies God. I want you to think about something. Think. For just a moment of the millions upon millions of millions of words spoke every hour by the millions upon millions of people that occupy this earth all of which God hears. He hears it all. Think of the discords. The discords. Not a good (laughs) chord. Think of All the conflicting sounds of a belief that one states and the action that they take. And thus, the sound of what? In the ears of the Lord. Hypocrisy. That's what he hears. Think of all the millions upon millions of words that he hears. Have you ever thought about... I don't want you to think about somebody else right now. The millions upon millions of millions. But think about... How you contribute to that all day long, every day, from your heart, with your mouth. What sound does God hear issuing from you? What is it? Think of it. So often it's life and creed at variance. Impurities, follies, blasphemies heard by God every hour. And not today, my friends, not only does he hear it, (laughs) he sees it. Facebook has made something worldwide. Not only are they saying it, they're printing it, and you see all these religious stupidities on it. And people making fun of God, making fun of His Sabbath, making fun of His law and His Word, and people in churches laughing at it. Do you not think that wearies God? Wearies God. Shall you weary my God too? <laughs> That's what Isaiah says. Oh, my, my God, my my my! You must be wearied with the words of men, with the sounds that issue forth from this earth. How else do we weary Him? We weary Him by questions. Right there. And all through this book. We say, verse 17 again, and I've got mine marked A, B, C, and D here. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, here's the question, how have we wearied Him? Can you imagine that? How have we wearied Him? That's the question. Men don't like to be challenged by God. Don't like it. And instead of being honest when challenged by God and given an honest confession or a bold denial, what do they do? Well, they speak like Cain. They ask, even though they know, they ask a question even though they know the answer to the question. In the very face of God, who knows everything. Cain, where's your brother? Well, I don't know. Then he asks, am I my brother's keeper? What foolishness, what arrogance. How... Have I wearied him, we ask. Well, we look at some of the instances in in this book of Malachi. And we looked at the first one. Then, when the Lord says in verse 1 and verse 2 of of chapter 1, I've loved you. And they go, oh, well, how have you loved us? And He tells them. And then you look at verse 10 through 13 with me of of that same chapter. A son honors his father. That's uh, no, let's wait. Verse uh, ten through thirteen of that same chapter. <clears throat> oh no, let's look at verse six. I'm sorry. Six through eight. A son honors his father and a servant his master, if then I am a father, and this is God speaking through the prophet, where is my honor? Am I a master? Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priest, you despise my name. But you say, and here's the question, and he's wearied with these questions, even though they know they've been doing it, how have we despised your name? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, here it is again, I say, but you say, you say, but how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that, if you will, to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now, you entreat the favor of God that He may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will He show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? And the answer to that is no. You polluted my table. Oh yeah, I believe the Ten Commandments. Well, let me ask you something. Do you delight in the Sabbath? Have you ever read Isaiah chapter 58? Do you call the Sabbath a delight? Do you delight yourself in it? Or do you give something lame? Do you give maybe an hour in the morning? And maybe an hour in the evening? And nothing else in between? Do you just give some? Oh, I don't believe that. Well, okay. As far as I'm concerned, you have profaned the name and the word of the Lord. I'll do what I want to the rest of the day. I've gone to church. I've paid my dues. I've gave my 10%. Do you call the Sabbath a delight? And you say... Look at verses 10-13 through then. Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. A pure offering. But my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when the Lord's table is polluted. In verse 13, what do the people say when you start talking to them like this? When you start reading something like this and start being challenged by it. Men don't like to be challenged. Verse 13, oh, but you say, what a weariness this is to me. And God knows what you do. You snort at it. That's what He says. What a weariness you say. And you snort at it, says the Lord. Then He goes ahead and describes how the altar is polluted. In chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, Judah has been set apart. He deals with the priest to some degree. Then he says in verse 10, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. An abomination, God says. For Judah, what? Has profaned the sanctuary. You need to understand, he's not just talking about the physical temple at that point. He's talking about the sanctuary of God, which he indwells all his people. He's talking about he has profaned the people of God. That's what he's done. He's profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign god. That phrase my friends refers to marrying a woman still committed to a foreign god still committed to a god and that is foreign to the one true god and is an idolater outside the covenant and this is a prohibition against marrying with unbelievers which continues in the New Testament 1 Corinthians chapter 7 39 2 Corinthians chapter 6 14 it continues today And we go, oh, well, you know, no. I know a lady who had a daughter who was married, I don't know, about four times. And the the lady would say, and she was a Christian lady, she would say, well, I know God hates divorce, but (laughs) she shouldn't have to live in this. Has he committed adultery? No. Has he beaten her up? No. Has he abandoned her? No. And yet, then what happens? Well, I'm going to tell my son, I'm going to tell my daughter, they cannot marry outside of the covenant. I've had many men come to my house when they were seeking the hands of my daughters, and a lot of them left and wouldn't come back. And then what happens? And when you bless the marriage outside of the covenant... Well we look on with you in verse thirteen. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But he says, but you say, Why doesn't he? <laughs> well, why doesn't he? We'll bless the marriage and say, okay, without a fight, to our daughter or our son marrying outside of the covenant, and then all this mess starts. All this hurt and pain and leading your daughter or your son in a wrong direction, raising your grandchildren without the knowledge of the one true God and you go to the altar and you weep and you cry and you've said, Oh, I know God hates divorce, but I know He's not she's not the marriage outside the covenant, but God says, I'll not hear you. Wake up, church. Do what you're supposed to do, dad. Do what you're supposed to do, mom. Fight. Fight for their life. Chapter 3, verse 6 7. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's very interesting, isn't it? He's faithful to His covenant. They're the children of Jacob. He's faithful to the covenant He made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. And because of that covenant, these people are not wham, wiped out. You're not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside, notice that, from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, can you hear the kid and the father here? The child and the father? Oh, but you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? How? how? Then verse 13 through 14. Because of all that's going on in our life, because there's disharmony in our children's relationships and their marriages and there's hurt and there's pain and Because we pollute the day and we have Super Bowl Sunday instead of the Lord's day. We profane that day, pollute it. We wonder why. We wonder why America. But why is this happening? (laughs) And so you say, why is this happening to me? And your words, the Lord says in verse 13, have been against me. They've been hard against me, says the Lord. Well, I'm in jail. I'm why, we're having hard times. Where is the God of Abraham? Where's the God of America? Why are we having to go through this? Why are we having to fight this fight, which is probably going to become a fight against the government sooner or later? I pray not. But you say again, how? Have we spoken against you <laughs> foolishness arrogance sheer arrogance in the face of god a course of hypocritical questions questions that are full of ill-natured feelings and towards god and fault-finding with god and everybody else, pretending surprise. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, I know your word says that, but, I know I should, but, pretending surprise that this is happening. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe I, I don't know the last time I knew the presence of God's grace experientially and intellectually at the same time. Surprise. Pretending surprise at what they know they're doing. My friends, this mocks God. For man to look up into his face and say, How have we wearied you? We deny him by denying the difference between good and evil. The Bible is very, very explicit in its teaching of the difference between a good man and an evil man. Very explicit. Explicit about the evil thing and the good thing. The evil opinion and the good opinion. But man sees very often very little difference between the good and the bad. But God sees the difference strongly. He sees the difference clearly. Look at our text again. Chapter 3, chapter 2, verse 17. Start with the first part again. You've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, and there's the question how have we wearied Him by saying this? Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights them, delights in them. You've wearied God by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights in them. That is an outright lie. It misrepresents God. It mocks God. God sees the difference strongly. He sees it clearly. Man likes to do away with the line in the sand. He likes to efface it. He likes to sand it off and to smooth it over, smooth over the differences. But God keeps the line. God keeps the line. My friends, it is broad, deep, and clear. It's like the line that exists between the sea and the land. Ever thought about that? This far and no farther. And when the sea comes farther than the line, what happens? Destruction. Tsunami. It wrecks. Think of the islands that it's hit. Think of the hurricanes that bring that water in upon us where the sea goes beyond the line that God has set, that God has marked. And think of the destruction, the unspeakable destruction. It can't even be, we can't number the amount of, the numbers of dollars and the wreck that is issued and that has to issue forth because of this. This far and no farther. The line is drawn. God has drawn it. God. Creator of heaven and earth. And we say, okay, we'll give them a revoice. (laughs) No, no, no. That is an abomination. It mocks God. It brings the sea like a rushing wave. With all this debris and all this destruction. He is wearied by man's affirming and earnestly and very intelligently attempting to destroy the differences that God has made. Listen to a panel of very literate speakers. A lot of people applaud them. But when they get through, all that you've heard, is just kind of talking in a circle. There's nothing. It's full of emptiness. It's a lot of noise, like we were talking about a few minutes ago. It's a sound in the ears of God that wearies Him. We need to pray that it's not ex- God's mercy is not exhausted here. Can you see what we're dealing with? Man wearies God with his attempts to obliterate moral and spiritual distinctions. He calls light, darkness, and darkness, light, sweet, bitter, and bitter, sweet, and good, evil, and evil, good. Is not this that I'm describing in the present age that we're living in? We weary God by disbelief of His coming judgment. Look back at our text with me. Another question. At the very end of it, let's read it again together all the way through. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, he says, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Where is he at? This, my friends, is the question of the scoffer, the unbeliever that we described earlier in our points. The question of the scoffer in the last days. Where's the promise of His coming? They don't believe in the one true God. They don't believe in His Word as inspired as a rule for faith and practice in life. And so they don't believe in judgment. And a lot of Presbyterians have forgotten that He's coming. Or you're going. But He is coming. They don't believe in His Word. They don't believe in judgment. No judgment and no God of judgment, many may say. That's their byword. Oh, He just loves everybody. And so what happens? Every man becomes a judge himself. A judge of truth and error. Everyone is the king and to himself. A judge himself. The measure of God and the judge of His character. A judge of ways. This means that there's no God but the one who suits their philosophy. We'll take Him. What looks like God's non-interference for many years and is allowing confusion, is allowing confusion, us to go on because He is faithful has led men to conclude that there is no God of judgment. That wearies God. That's what He just said. The semi-atheist, the practical atheist, the misinterpretation and that's what it is of His love and patience. God's long-suffering instead of leading to repentance has Led to unbelief, O oh, Jerusalem, your house is left unto you desolate. The Lord will come. He may come soon, and let us be ready, because the judge stands at the door. The beginnings are now, I believe. Unless we repent. I pray that you could hear the burden of the word of the Lord from Malachi. From God. That we can hear. Friends, we've got a field that's ready to harvest. You know, I want to encourage you that God always does the unexpected. You think there's no way for that guy to get saved. There's no way. Why should I witness to Him? Because He's there. Why should I go to Him? Because somebody needs to go to Him. Why shall I waste my time? We don't need to be arguing about some minor points. We need to understand that there are souls that are dying in eternal death. And we need to declare to them and not be ashamed of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And you've got to know what the Gospel is. But there's work for us to do. Well, I encourage you to Go out and do it. Be burdened with this compassion and sympathy that now still exists in our God toward our nation, toward the church, which is supposed to be His spotless bride that we've adorned with things of the world. Not we necessarily, but so many have adorned with things of the world. That So much adorning with the things of the world that You can't even recognize what's the church and what's the world anymore. Put all this makeup and stuff on her so that people, ungodly people, will come in and sit in the pews. No, go out. Don't stain us with that. See them saved in the streets, in your homes, at work. Plead with them. And then bring them. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. We bow before You, Almighty God, our Father. We are so thankful that You have so patiently for so many years endured our laziness, endured our foolishness, endured our ingratitude and thus our perverseness. And so we grant that we may from this point, oh, grant that we may give ourselves in total submission, in complete obedience to You. And since You've been pleased to set over us the best shepherd, Your only begotten Son, Oh, we ask You by the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would cause us willingly, since You are in us both to will and to work and to do Your good pleasure, cause us willingly to hearken to our Shepherd and to be ruled by Him. And even though You may find in us what might justly provoke wrath, please, 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 I pray, forgive. Please correct what is sinful in us, O God, that we may continue to the end. O shepherd of our souls, keep us in your soul, that we may hear your voice. Keep us under the guidance of your pastoral, your shepherding staff. Until we are finally separated from the goats and enjoy our blessed inheritance, which has been purchased, obtained for us by the blood of our dear Savior, your beloved Son. It's in His name we ask. Amen.